You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Soupcast, coming to you from Archaeosoup Towers. By popular demand, we're taking selected videos from the Archaeosoup back catalogue and bringing them to you as convenient podcasts. As the name implies, with Archaeosoup you get a bit of everything thrown into the pot. Archaeology, discussion, humour and debate. You can find out more at archaeosoup.com. So sit back, relax and enjoy our hearty helping of Archaeosoup. to Watching Brief for the week of the 2nd of August, 2021. Uh, I am joined, as ever, by Andy Brockman, my co-host and stalwart colleague down in the uh, the, the storm-laden south, the internet-starved uh, supposed capital of this country, uh, where uh, until very recently he was moving at about two or three frames per second. Um. It was a <laughs> bit like watching the Thunderbirds in slow motion. In slow motion, absolutely yes. That 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 just about gets there. Uh, but nonetheless, regardless of internet issues, our uh, our mission continues. Our watching brief does continue, uh, and this week we have a slightly different um, serving for you. We're going to be uh, examining uh, our experiences at Petrobaria Revisited, a uh, a community archaeology project that we were filming on for a couple of days, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, in uh, the East Riding of Yorkshire. And then at the end of this watching brief, there's a couple of lines of news that that are probably worth looking at, and we'll have links to those below. One is actually an update on on what the government did next regarding Stonehenge, and then you know the government strikes back. So uh, so look at look look forward to that at the end. Uh, but we're but we're going to start essentially. This is this is a debrief. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an after action report, as it were, on on what we thought of Petraria because we're going to be making a documentary in the coming weeks and months. Uh, I say we. I'm going to be editing primarily the footage, but but we have a narrative structure that that, that we're discussing and and. Um, and want to present and and part of it comes out of our impressions and and these these are they in that sense but but before we talk about our impressions of this archaeological dig and why it is that we think it's important to talk about what is it what is Petraria revisited and uh, and how how did it get going okay so people need to picture a small town about eight miles west of the port of Hull modern port of Hull uh, close to the Humber Bridge uh, it, uh, so you, it, it's on the banks on the north bank of the River Humber. Uh, look south, and you see Lincolnshire. Um, and look north, and you would see uh, the rest of Yorkshire and town uh, and important cities like uh, York, in particular. In fact, the, um, it, the 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 river access to York comes past rough on Humber as it is now Petuaria, as mm. it almost certainly was in Roman times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it's a significant Roman centre. There were excavations there in the 1930s and then in the late 1950s and early 60s, which were, to say the least, tantalising. Uh, there were significant Roman walls, Roman military ditches, defensive ditches, um, and in particular, and most famously, an inscription where a member of the local council paid for a new proscenium for the town theatre, and obviously a 
theatre in the Roman period uh, um, has a certain amount of civic pride and status attached to it, mm. uh, which suggested that Petuaria was quite a significant Roman centre in the second century when the mm. inscription was uh, was created. So plenty of reason for archaeologists to revisit it. Mm. Um, what they were revisiting and what we were looking at was an excavation on an open area of ground called the Burrs. And it's been an open area of ground for a long, long time. It's never been built on. It's now the local playing fields. And it is administered by the local playing fields association. The Ellerton Cumbra um, Playing Field Association. Yes. Absolutely. And this brilliant organisation who aren't just interested in administering football pitches decided that it would be a great community project to bring archaeologists back in to revisit those earlier excavations, see if they could find the theatre, that's the headline, but basically try and understand this really important site better using modern techniques, but critically having the work done not just alongside or to, but actually by primarily the local community. Yeah. And, and, and so all of this is is stuff that we sort of hinted at in the the project launch video that we produced a couple of months mm -hmm. ago now, uh, where the, the, there is this question about about Petrovaria and it, and its its existence, where it exists. Mm -hmm. I mean, in that sense, you know, the very fact that that uh, you know, I, I never thought of there being a town there, a Roman town, never mind mm -hmm. an important one. Uh, yeah. It tells you something also, actually, about that relationship between the north and the south of England, and and the way in which the Roman, the characterization of the Roman world has influenced how people in this country see the north, in particular, in the north of England. Uh, and so it's 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 got it had that sort of multi-layered element to it, which also crucially then brings in local people, because as an extension of this notion of 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 north and south, often, for example, northern archaeological projects. Uh, they run the risk of, uh, in historically, not so much these days, but historically, of being uh, maybe uh, a, a bunch of professionals coming into a place and doing archaeology for them or to them or or, or, uh, or prescribing what it is that local people should find important about their local history. Mm. Uh, th th this this happens occasionally. Um, sometimes you might see it in, say, a TV production where... Um, where it seems that 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 yes, people get access to gardens or to 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 plots of land, that that locals are able to do a little bit of digging in, but the broadly speaking, the interpretation, the narrative, and the and the importance, the perceived importance of that narrative is shaped by the by the archaeologists primarily. Uh, that, I suppose that that that's that's a one part of the spectrum, and a, a little bit further uh, you know further back away you know sort of to the negative well yeah the the the, le the least the less um interactive end of the spectrum would be my experience of my first ever dig was seeing archaeologists actively annoyed never mind just sort of prescribing but genuinely being irritated by local people uh, you know wanting to know if anything's been found um uh, so so there's 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 a variety of ways, myriad of ways in which the public interacts uh, with archaeology, and archaeologists see the public. And in this instance at, at Bruff, what I found most interesting was the fact that they were deliberately, Petraria revisited was deliberately not only wanting local people, but also specifically wanting local people who had no previous experience of an archaeological excavation. So, for example, not wanting people who are 
are on the circuits who are retired who maybe go and dig at Vindolanda and then dig it and you know at another site that's just opened up in Cumbria and then maybe go to Linda's farm and then float down to no they wanted people who'd never dug before uh, and I don't think I really understood the significance of that until I was actually down on site talking to people running the dig just one last little bit of background we need to put in place this wasn't just um, local people being let loose on what is actually a scheduled ancient monument. This is the other thing about, you know, the, 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 a large part of the area that was being dug uh, this year was uh, being dug with scheduled monument consent from Historic England. So they had to have a project design that got past Historic England's vetting process. Mm -hmm. um, it is a nationally significant site. Mm -hmm. So you don't just dig holes in it randomly. No. Um, so the project uh, was organised from the grassroots by the LSM Cumbria Playing Fields Association, who run the Burrs, but it was academically being supervised by uh, Dr. Peter Halcombe from Hull University, and also James Lyle, um, again, another professional archaeologist, and there were professional trench supervisors who the local people were working to. So, you know, it's not just giving local people a shovel and a trowel and saying, go get on with it, dig that. And I've seen a number of other projects where it's a matter of honour, really, that when you involve local people in the digging, you trust them to do all of the digging. Mm. So that, for example, the classic example is if you find human remains. Mm. And, so, and, and so an amateur digger, a non-professional no, non digger, a non-experienced digger, um, uncover some uh, human remains in the course of opening up a trench, and they're immediately removed so that a professional can take over. Mm -hmm. now, I've, I've, I've never done that. I would never want to do that. And certainly that wasn't happening on the, on the site at, 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 at Braff with Petuaria revisited because the whole philosophy of the project was, as you say, uh, they wanted people who'd never dug before, weren't part of the circuit. Um, now, I've been told this, so it was what I was expecting. And I'm very, very pleased to say that what I saw was that being carried through. Um, so that, for example, we had um, people um, who had not dug before um, excavating and sensitively and well with close professional supervision, but um, actually wielding the trowels and the toothpicks and, the, uh, and so on. Um, small metal finds um, and, and, and a ritual pit of unknown function. Um, so, you know, uh, these things were... Uh, were, be, were, were being done by the 87% of the site personnel who had never done archaeology before in any form. That's an astonishing figure to me. Mm, mm. But that's the, that's the figure from the project. 87% of the people taking part had never done archaeology before. Effectively, that's the workforce. The other 13% are the professional support staff. And, and so uh, I, I suppose to... Uh... To, to, to cut one of the criticisms off at the pass that, that uh, I know some people on, on the site were aware of, uh, is this taking jobs away from hardworking archaeologists? Well, no, of course it's not, because it's actually creating jobs. This is, this is look, this, this is a project that wouldn't have happened without the Ellerton Cumbrough Plainfields Association creating the project, fundraising for it, paying professional staff to come in and support the, uh, the, 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 the individual diggers. Um, the paying for the infrastructure, the security fencing, the shelters, the port, you know, the things as basic as the portaloos, mm. you know. Um, th this was something that was creating jobs, 
creating jobs to create knowledge. It was supporting the local economy by using local suppliers where possible for things like the infrastructure. Um, it was being supported by the local branch of Morrison's. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this is this is something that was reaching out into the community. You, you made the point about uh, you know uh, 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 archaeologists being annoyed by people asking questions through a fence. This project was the, absolutely the opposite of that. The idea was, you know, if somebody was walking across the birds and happened to wander up to the fence and ask a question, not only did they get a question answered, they were then invited to come and look at some of the small finds that were being processed in public in the finds tent. And, and so on. So, you know, so, that, so there's, there's absolutely nothing hidden about this. There's absolutely, uh, it, it, you know, we talk a lot at the, at the moment about open access in terms of journals. This was open access archaeology. And the other even more remarkable thing, um, they, the fundraising was effective to the extent that nobody but nobody who was there digging from the community was having to pay for the privilege. No. It was free. <clears throat> No, absolutely, absolutely, and and actually, one one of the uh, one of the interesting uh, uh, focuses that, that that came out of conversations with uh, with staff on site was the the fact that they were they had just simple uh, ob objectives of helping people not only learn archaeological skills, which over the course of of a few days people were becoming um, uh, very competent at, but also actually simple things like uh, tackling uh, loneliness in a sort of a COVID yes. or post post lockdown uh situation people who've been working on the front lines of of, of, of the pandemic uh, in particular were welcome to come and dig on site uh, uh, and and people who who simply um hadn't hadn't had human interactions for a long time were welcome to come and dig on site it was it was uh it was interesting in that sense in so much as again i arrived on site not really understanding exactly what i was about to see because Often archaeological digs make a um, uh, archaeological projects make a much more of a song and dance of uh, of the the social benefits of their work um, if that mm. is a stated goal of the work and and yet in this mm. instance it seemed to be relatively understated uh, and yet it's at the heart of everything that they were doing uh, I found I found that to be to be quite interesting certainly I I, I agree I we're we're in the situation at the moment where we, uh, as a profession, archaeology is looking for justifications, it's looking for reasons to be, it's looking for um, added value that it can offer to, to communities, uh, to justify certainly funding, some people would argue, even its existence as a, as a, as a professional sector, as a recognised entity. Mm. Um, with, there's a lot of questioning going on, you know, we've, we've seen the problems in universities, and in fact Hull is losing its archaeology department in terms of, you know, uh, Dr Halkins retiring in September, mm. um, it, you know, Hull isn't going to have the presence in local archaeology, but it's had for many years. Mm. Um, now, but I, 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 and, and one of the things that has been gra uh, grasped by a number of people, a number of projects, is the idea that archaeology can be some kind of um, therapy almost uh, for people who are suffering uh, from loneliness or with disabilities or with mental health issues. Now, I think it has to be said that Petuaru Vista was making no claims about that. No. Um, and in fact, objectively, the work to for and against those claims doesn't yet exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, there aren't the peer-reviewed articles looking at this issue. What there is is a lot of anecdotal suggestion that just getting out 
with people makes people feel better. It's logical, makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be archaeology, though. You, you know, people renovating the local park, uh, people going out with friends fishing, you know, people going out metal detecting. You know, it, this, these ideas of you know, getting out with, in, in, in company, having conversations with people, and some particularly post-COVID, um, it does give people a greater sense of self-worth in, 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 in many cases. The question is, you know, how sustainable is that? And that's a question that we're still trying to answer. And I think, and again, um, the, the people at Petuaria wouldn't say they've got an answer to that either. But I mean, again, just looking at the, the, the kind of um, what they were offering was almost a sort of island of company, an island of activity, an island where somebody could come and feel safe and supported and could have conversations and so on. I mean, I'll read off a few more figures. Uh, um, the uh, something like 14% of the people taking part in the digging force were either service veterans or serving military. Um, another nearly 20% were from blue light services who've been working in the front line of COVID. And 7% uh, registered disabled, which is, again is brilliant. And, and astonishingly, and, and, and again, this is, this, is, this is only possible because the way it was funded and sponsored so that people taking part didn't have to pay, 37% of, the, of, the, of that digging force, those community volunteers were on benefits. Right, yes, yeah. It's astonishing. Mm. Exactly, yeah, which, which is a whole... Uh, a whole um demographic that the archaeological voluntary archaeological positions don't normally reach um, no. for the most part no. whether whether uh, ironically enough archaeologists themselves are more often than not the people on digs who are on benefits that's that's a whole other conversation isn't it you could um, certainly <laughs> argue that everybody working professionally british archaeology is subsidizing the profession in terms of the paying conditions that they accept yeah yeah well you could do yeah certainly um Okay, Grant. Well, so that's uh, that's Petraria. Uh, what are the news um, uh, lines that we're going to be covering this week? Then, what 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 should people be aware of and be taking a look at when they uh, as and when they can? It's 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 a bit of a crunch and gear change from something that's really sort of quite idealistic and arguably is a is a model for at least the kind of community archaeology going forward um, to get back into the um, the nuts and bolts and granular legal detail of uh, planning applications and, and so on. But the two news lines this week really one is the follow up to last week um, and that is that Highways England have. Um, issued a press release in response to the High Court quashing the planning consent for the A303 Stonehenge tunnel and upgrade across the Stonehenge and Avery World Heritage Site. Um, they have basically said that they're waiting for the Department of Transport to consider its options, um, which we already knew. Um, they haven't, the, the government haven't yet said if they're planning an appeal, but um, then last, uh, uh, last Wednesday, David Bullock, who's the project manager of the Scheme for Highways England, said that the procurement process is very much live. He said, we have to, while we have to wait for the Department for Transport to consider its options, in the meantime, we're continuing with the process to appoint a contractor for the main works phase of the scheme. We've now paused our plans to carry out early preparatory work, but the procurement process is very much live to ensure we maintain programme timescales as best as possible. 
and then he added, uh, Highways England still believed it was the best solution to ongoing issues part, uh, on the A303 past Stonehenge that had been developed after long and extensive collaboration with stakeholders. Now, the judge disagreed with that. He said that the government hadn't looked at enough alternatives uh, in enough detail. Um, and uh, alarm bells were ringing with uh, the, the, the campaigners because, uh, first of all, to be carrying on and say you're carrying on in the face of a judge saying what you were doing was unlawful uh, is a bit, it, it's not a good look. Um, it's also a, the idea of appointing a main contractor uh, before you've completed the planning process, the legal processes, uh, is something that was allegedly done by the Garden Bridge Trust um, when they were trying to get the Garden Bridge built in central London. The idea is that you appoint a main contractor and the contract that you give them has penalty clauses for cancellation. Right. And the idea is that uh, a massive penalty clause makes the programme uh, less cancellable. Mm -hmm. um, so while the immediate work, and I'm still trying to find out whether that immediate work that's been stopped includes the archaeology, um, but the uh, we, we're waiting, um, you know, we will watch this space. That, Campaigners will certainly be afraid that um, you know the you know, you're like it's like at the end of a zombie movie. You watch the end credits, and then at the, at, the, at the end of the just as the last credit is rolling, and the copyright date is is rolling past, that you know the the arm leaps out of the grave. You know, mm. Um, mm. it's um, it's we're 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 at that sort of series. Is this a is this a zombie project um, that's going to come back to life, or has it actually been staked out? Mm. Um, like Dracula and the Sunlight has uh, forced it, you know, has turned it to ashes. We, 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 we don't yet know. But nonetheless, at the moment, there's an incentive to say that, oh, yeah, no, 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 it will happen in some form because of contractual obligations not to cancel and this kind of thing, yeah, presumably. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Highways England are talking up their side of it and trying to make... Uh, or deflect from the fact that they and the government were found to have made two critical legal errors yeah. in form in, in, in giving the project the go ahead. Okay, cool. And uh, and the second uh, uh, news item uh, that, that folks should take a look at this week. It's another planning story, and it's another planning story that's been going on for some time. It's the uh, ministerial go ahead for a national Holocaust memorial in the gardens next to the Palace of Westminster, next to the Houses of Parliament. Um, it's an area, it's a triangular area fronting onto the River Thames. A, at the moment, it's a, a quiet, undeveloped park called Victoria Tower Gardens. Mm. Um, and there, there are a few statues there. The famous statue of the Burgers of Calais is there and, um, and, 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 and a, a few others. And, it, and there was a, um, an, an instant memorial to the MP Joe Cox uh, there when uh, when she was murdered. Um, you know, it's a it's, it's a quite a place, it's a place for quiet contemplation. Um, it has been slated to be the site of somewhere which arguably needs quiet contemplation, which is the, the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. um, there is a plan to build the National Holocaust Memorial there. Um, it has been controversial because it is an undeveloped park. Uh, traffic access it, it's already in a traffic choke part of. Uh, central London. Um, it's also part of the um, World Heritage Site, the Westminster World Heritage Site, which takes in the Houses of Parliament and Westminster Abbey. Mm. Um, it's a hundred million budgeted project. Uh, le leading architects have been involved. 
eventually it went to the planning inspectors like Stonehenge, but unlike Stonehenge, the planning inspectors said the project should go ahead. It was called in by the, uh, the government and the minister um, this uh, last in, in the last week also gave it the go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, I don't nobody, even people who oppose the project going ahead in in Victoria Gardens, in the Victoria Tower Gardens, uh, objects to a national museum where the country can contemplate the Holocaust. You know, Britain was involved in some very difficult, well, still some very difficult issues at the time of the Holocaust. In terms of refugees, it let in, and refugees, it didn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For, you know, um, people might have heard of the kinder transport and, mm-hmm. and, and, and amongst other other uh, other other issues um and, and and the whole argument about whether or not to bomb the auschwitz camp um the death camp um the crematoriums when um they were identified by uh, polish underground uh and, and, and agents um so it it's, it's it's an area that you know it's an area that has to be remembered and it has to be remembered in the context of course of other more recent genocides and uh, human rights issues. So, you know, people have, will be aware of the controversy around the treatment of the Ouija people by the Chinese government at the moment. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, uh, that similar similar language is being used. Um, right. You know, uh, so, you know, it, it's an important issue. The argument is whether this was the right place. And I, I'll just leave you with a couple of thoughts, really. I mean, uh, people, could, uh, we've, we've got something to explore. People can go and investigate the, the, this for them. For themselves i mean the, the context of the argument is why build it here particularly when the imperial war museum has a multi-million pound new holocaust exhibition opening in a few in a few weeks time in fact in september i think mm-hmm. um and, and, and is is there is is there a more appropriate site um the uh marie van der Zyl, who's the president of the board deputies of british jews said that I'm proud that the memorial is being built in the heart of our country so it can be visited by millions. I know that long after I and the other survivors are gone, um, the UK will continue to remember the Holocaust and learn what happens when hatred reigns. And, and, and she put it in the context as well of the per, uh, persecution of Roma and gay and disabled people that, that, and, and said that the, the memorial will also speak to that. Um, at the same time, um, uh, Crossbench peer, that's a non-party affiliated peer, member of the House of Lords, uh, Ruth Deitch, Baroness Deitch. Um, Her father fled Nazi persecution and she said that the public inquiry raised serious concerns about the plan's impact on the heritage and a valuable public park, as well as raising issues of flood risk, security and damage to mature trees. That was the practical um, um, objections that uh, that were raised to, to this project. And then she said, we passionately believe that the Holocaust should be remembered, but we believe this is an ill-considered and damaging proposal. It'll do a disservice to victims and survivors and little to enhance understanding and respect. Um, two opposing views there from people with similar cultural investments in remembering the Holocaust. Um, it's a really knotty one. People will come up with their own conclusions and... Um, there is still the possibility that the opponents of the scheme, say Victoria Tower Gardens, may appeal the ministerial decision and seek a judicial review, but we don't know. It's, it's probably more likely than not that the project will now go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's uh, 
that's something else to keep an eye on, I guess. And and uh, as you say, there's there's not I can't think of many people who who would object to the notion of the memorial, but it's just where it goes and, and the impact of it that uh, there's now the question. Uh, I suppose uh, that's that's it for the week. Uh, thank you guys for watching. Next week we uh, we will return um, with whatever archaeological news takes our fancy. And uh, until then, do take care. Bye-bye. This podcast episode has been produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network in collaboration with Archaeosoup Productions. Find out more podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.